look at it. But we want to continue in our series. If you open up uh, Ezekiel chapter 38, the Old Testament, our series, Behold, the Days Are Coming. This is week number four. This is the second week. Last week, we began to look at Ezekiel 38 as we went through uh, the first part of, of Ezekiel 38, uh, verses 1 through 17. We're going to finish Ezekiel 38 today and go into Ezekiel 39, which is very intriguing, very interesting, uh, what we're going to read there. So Ezekiel, the Old Testament, chapter 38, part two of the War of Gog and Magog. Again, if you're visiting with us, we're in the middle of an eight-week series, Behold, the Days Are Coming, looking at the prophetic scenario uh, especially in light of what we have seen going on in Israel with the war with Hamas, with uh, interest, once again, in end-time prophecy. We study it um, as we go through the scriptures here at Calvary Chapel, but I just want to give you some clarity and understanding and for you to not only uh, have assurance that uh, what the prophetic scenario says in the last days and be wise and discerning, but be able to minister to others. So we'll be in Ezekiel 38. As Father, we do come this morning once again, and we look at this, this war that is declared that's going to take place. It will come to pass um, in the latter days. And Lord, as we read this, it's not to frighten us. It's not to, uh, to paralyze us spiritually. It's to give us a hope that you're going to come for us. Your word is true. You're on the throne. We have a blessed hope and a living hope as Christians that we may have the right perspective as the days ahead we have discernment and wisdom. And Lord, that we would be able to minister to others. I pray that right now that you just give us wisdom as we go through this. And Lord, you stir our hearts to give us a sense of urgency, because all of this is leading to something and somewhere. What does it mean for us today in the day in which we're living in? So, Lord, may we be free from distractions, settled in our seats. Remember, turn ringers off our phones as we're in your word for the next few moments. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So Ezekiel the prophet, keep in mind that he was off in the captivity, in the Babylonian captivity. He's in Babylon. He's given these amazing prophecies. I think Ezekiel has some of the most amazing prophecies that we have in the Old Testament. And as he's looking 26 years ago, looking down through history, telling us now of a major war that will take place in the latter days. Now, when it comes to the future, there's three major wars that the Bible, Bible speaks about that is going to take place. One is Ezekiel 38 and 39, the war of Gog and Magog that we're looking at and will continue to do so today. Then there is the battle of Armageddon. And as we look at Ezekiel 38 and 39, that this battle here gets twice the print of the battle of Armageddon. The battle of Armageddon is not the same as Ezekiel 38 and 39. I got a question last week that was sent to me. I was told, I, I heard a teaching that Ezekiel 38 and 39 is the same as the battle of Armageddon. These are two separate wars in the latter days that are given to us. And so the battle of Armageddon, we know that it will take place at the end of the tribulation period 
right prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Then at the end of the millennium reign of Jesus Christ, Gog and Magog is referenced once again. It's not this war here, but in that, the, the symbolism is used because Satan is going to be released out of the bottomless pit. He's chained up during the millennium reign of Jesus Christ. He's released. He will go throughout the nations and he will deceive many people. And it's not really a battle. He'll come against the Lord. The Lord will simply speak and he will put down that rebellion. And then Satan will be cast into the lake of fire along with the Antichrist and the false prophet. So here, as we go through the battle of of Gog and Magog here, uh, we saw seven things that you were to write down uh, as we went through the first 17 verses of Ezekiel 38, that we know that this war is taking place after Israel has taken on a national identity. Uh, We know that the prophecies are given that they would be dispersed throughout all the nations. Ezekiel 36 and 37, that they would come back from the nations. They would restore the land, come back and rebuild the ancient cities. They would come back and plant the land once again to be rich land. And then that vision of the dry bones in Ezekiel chapter 37, where the bones come together and become skeletons. Can these bones be made to live. Ezekiel says, you know, Lord, and in the skin and the muscles and the tissues come on to where their corpse and the Lord would breathe life into them. And it speaks about a nation that was dead, that's alive once again. We have seen Ezekiel 38 and 37, at least a partial fulfillment of it in our day when Israel became a nation in 1948, coming back into the land, being out of land for 2,000 years, the miracle of the Mediterranean, unheard of in human history of that happening, that people have been out of their original homeland for 2,000 years and then come back, just as the Bible said would happen. So this war is taking place after they've taken on a national identity. We see that very clearly here as we are in Ezekiel 37 and then Ezekiel 30, 38, that after many days you'll be visited as you come into the land brought back from the sword, gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel. Number three, we know that this war takes place in the latter years. Uh, anyone who is a student of end-time prophecy, you know that term, latter years. It speaks of a time right prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we read that in verses 8 and 16. And then we know uh, that, number three, that this war has not happened in history. There are some who have said this has happened in history. This has taken place. It has not hap- taken historically. And then number four, as I've already mentioned, this is not the Battle of Armageddon. We know that there are two separate wars. Uh, the Battle of Armageddon, where the nations of the world will come in that last world war. Uh, and in the middle of that battle, Jesus Christ comes back and he establishes his kingdom. Number five, looking at the alliances of the nations that will invade Israel. This is a huge army. Army, uh, that will descend upon the land, uh, a land uh, like a cloud coming, as described, with all your troops and many people with you. The alliances of nations, speaking of here, Gog is a title of the land of Magog, as a reference to Russia, uh, of the prince of Rush and Meshach and Tubal. Uh, there is a reference to Turkey, uh, as we look at that. Uh, reference to Persia, that's easy, that's Iran. So those are the major players, along with those of northern Africa, of Libya and Kush, which is Sudan. Um, they're all going to 
gather together. They're going to invade Israel. As the Lord says, I'm going to put a hook in your jaw, and I'm going to bring you from the far north, and I'm going to bring you into the mountains of Israel in this massive invasion of Israel. And as we look at this, we also know number six, if you were here last time, you wrote down it's going to happen at a time where they're dwelling safely in unwalled villages, verses 8 and 11 of what we read last week. Now, Ezekiel, he's looking at, um, you know, today, uh, the villages don't have walls like in ancient times, but they're dwelling securely in the land. And we thought before October 7th that Israel was dwelling securely. But as the attack from Gaza came from Hamas, uh, now people are leaving the northern part of Israel. They don't feel safe because of Hezbollah up there that's got tens of thousands of missiles that are pointed at Israel. They're afraid the same thing might happen, that they'll storm the border, that they'll come in uh, taking people captive, killing like what happened on October 7th. They don't feel safe. So this is going to come at a time when they're dwelling securely. And then also, as we saw, let me read to you verse 12 and 13 that we read last week of Ezekiel 38, that they come, this invading army, to take plunder, to take beauty, um, booty, to stretch out your hand against the waste places that are again inhabited and against the people gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods. And Sheba, Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish, and all their young lions will say to you, Have you come to take plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, to take great plunder? So as we read this, we know they're going to come in to take a plunder, to take spoils, what is the plunder? What is the spoil to take gold and silver? There's been a lot of speculation by commentators what exactly that is. Maybe natural gas, maybe oil. I think personally it's just the land. Because when Israel came in in 1948, uh, it, was, it was a land that was very barren. Uh, we know that Mark Twain visited Israel. He said, who would want to live in this place? It's so barren. And when the Ottoman Empire ruled over Israel... What they did is they went and they cut down all the trees. The reason they did that is because that's how they taxed the people, how many trees that you had. So it was barren, the land, and, and as the Jews came back in and began to plant the land, absolutely amazing. Every time that I go to Israel, it's more green, the desert's blooming, uh, exactly as Ezekiel said would take place in Ezekiel 36. 37, uh, we see incredible agriculture that takes place. Um, all these things that it's a very fertile land. Uh, they have become prosperous. What they have done in their nation in the last 75 years is absolutely amazing. So they want to come in and they want to take the land. So that's what we know from Ezekiel 38. And we're going to continue as number eight. You can write down in your notes that we read in verse 13. There's another uh, alliance of nations that are going to protest on behalf of Israel. We read that again, Sheba, Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish and all their young lions will say, have you come to take a plunder? As we read this, they're protesting. They will say, why are you coming? Are you coming to take a plunder? Are you coming to take a booty? And we know that um, Sheba and Dedan in the Old Testament is speaking of Saudi Arabia. There's no doubt about that. Now, here's the question, because 20 years ago, these alliances were very unlikely. 
the invading armies of Iran, Russia, Turkey, uh, it seems so unlikely, but yet those nations have come together to make military alliances. Russia is very, very much um, you know, uh, involved and entrenched in the Middle East. I used to think, well, Iran, of course they want to uh, side with Russia because Russia's got this huge army uh, and very powerful, but Russia being bogged down in the war in Ukraine, they're looking to Iran to, to supply them with weapons, with drones and all of this. So there's a very much of a tight military alliance that you see with Russia and Iran, even with Turkey, even though Turkey's a NATO nation. That Turkey used to be secular, but now Erdogan, the prime minister, is very much hostile towards Israel. So we see this hostility that is growing against Israel. Even the United Nations ambassador of Russia said Israel has no right to defend themselves. And we see this coming against Israel more and more. Um, and the tensions are building in this uh, Iran, uh, Russia, uh, Turkey, uh, Northern Africa. Those nations are going to come together with this massive invasion. But here Saudi Arabia is protesting this invasion. Now, why would Saudi Arabia do that? Why would they do that? when they haven't had normal relations with Israel, they've been sworn enemies of Israel ever since it came into its existence in 1948. Well, Saudi Arabia is very concerned about Iran. And we know that there's two sects of, of Muslims in the Middle East, Saudi Arabia, which are the Sunnis, and then Iran, which are the Shiites. And Saudi Arabia is afraid of Iran because Iran flexing its muscles in the Middle East and is also supplying weapons to the Houthis in Yemen that they have bombed Saudi Arabia with missiles, bombed the airport. So it's no secret that Saudi Arabia has said, listen, Iran is very dangerous, they're very concerned. One of the thoughts is that as Saudi Arabia is in this protest, that the thought has been Iran maybe comes across the, the Persia Gulf uh, and comes into Saudi Arabia, and part of the booties, the spoils here, the plunder, is spoken of as the oil fields in Saudi Arabia. I think it may be going outside what we're reading here, um, but could they be coming in that direction? Uh, the invasion seems to be coming from the north. So I'm not sure about that thought, um, but Saudi Arabia is very much threatened by Iran. And we know that Saudi Arabia and Israel were having talks before the invasion, or that is the attack of October 7th, into Israel by Hamas. And one of the thoughts of those of geopolitical analysts and, and those who look at these things um, they believe that perhaps one of the reasons that Hamas attacked Israel at that time is because Israel and Saudi Arabia were just about ready to announce that they're going to have normal relations. They're going to establish normal relations, and now that's put off. I don't know if that's true or not, uh, but Saudi Arabia is very much concerned about Iran and what's going on and has even urged the United States that you need to deal with Iran and you need to take the, their threat very serious of the threat of them in the Middle East and, and trying to, you know, their caliphate and wanting to take over the world and do it with weapons of mass destruction. But you also have, joining with Saudi Arabia, you have the merchants of Tarshish. 
The biblical definition is Spain. Now remember that Jonah got on a boat to go to Tarshish. Some have said that perhaps it's Great Britain. And I think it's hard-pressed to prove that. Maybe Tarshish is a reference to Western Europe. It could be that. And then you have Tarshish and then the young lions. It is suggested that it could be speaking, again, of Western Europe. It could be speaking of the Western Hemisphere, United States, Canada, Australia. We don't know for sure, but I do look at biblical prophecy. We know that nations play a role, don't they? Psalm 2, the nations rage. And we know that nations play very much a role, even as Iran, Turkey, and and um, Russia coming together, Northern Africa, you see the alliances coming together. Ezekiel's prophesying this 2,600 years ago. 20 years ago, this seemed very unlikely that this would happen. And in this confederation of nations, Saudi Arabia and, and the young lines of Tarshish, uh, they're protesting. They're not involved, but they're saying, why are you coming in? We see Saudi Arabia, again, why they would want to do that. So we have seen stage-setting events of nations, why they perhaps would come against Israel. We know that Russia has a major military base in Syria to the north, and they're there to stay. That Iran, Iran has troops uh, there in Syria as well. Uh, they're funding Hezbollah, Hezbollah a proxy of Iran, as they're uh, providing weapons, they're providing money, uh, along with Hamas and the Houthis there in Yemen. Uh, and, and so there's Iran very much involved. And, and Turkey's got troops in the northern uh, part of Syria. It, it all seems like it's coming together, just as the Bible said that it would. But in this, as you look at it, why isn't the United States, and this concerns me, why is the United States not specifically mentioned in end-time prophecy? You see, we're the superpower of the world. And geopolitical analysts, they say, you know, we're the greatest country that ever existed in the history of the world. Why isn't the United States mentioned specifically in end-time prophecy? You have other nations. Russia is. The Middle East. Israel, of course, the epicenter of end-time prophecy. You have the kings of the east mentioned. That's probably China and her allies there in the battle Armageddon that will come over the Fertile Crescent into the valley of Megiddo. You have other parts, other countries of the world that are mentioned. And in the last days, we know there's going to be this revived Roman Empire that will come on the scene. And it's interesting that as you read Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 2, Daniel would tell Nebuchadnezzar of a dream that he had. It really bothered Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. He says, here's the king, or here's the dream king. You saw image of a man made of different metals. And he would describe interpreting the dream for empires that would come on the scene from the time of Daniel to the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's called the foundation of Bible prophecy. You're the head of gold. You know, Nebuchadnezzar, you'll be replaced by another empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, which will be replaced by another empire, uh, Alexander the Great in Greece, replaced by another one, Rome, that was ruling the known world at the time of Jesus. They come in, they destroy Jerusalem in 70 AD, the Jews are dispersed. There is a gap of time, but then in the legs of iron that represented uh, the Roman Empire, there's the feet, has iron mingled with clay and ten toes. 
And Daniel says the ten toes are ten kings that will be in existence at the time that the kingdom of God is established. So there's this revived Roman Empire. It's not like the old Roman Empire, but an extension of it and ten kings that will rule. Daniel chapter 7, as we see that Daniel then would have a vision of four beasts. And he describes the beast, one like a lion with wings, and one like a bear and ribs in its mouth, and one like a leopard that uh, moves fast. And we know that there are many Bible commentators that are very good teachers that correlate those three beasts with Babylon, Medo-Persian, and Greece. And then the fourth beast, and we're not told what kind of beast it was, only that it was dreadful and terrible. And Daniel was very intrigued by it. And let me read it to you as he's talking again. It does correlate with Daniel chapter 2. But I also want to, um, to mention uh, that uh, as I get to it in chapter 7, listen, I'll read it to you. The great beasts which are four are four kings which arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom, possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Will you please keep that in mind? We belong to a kingdom that will last forever. And he says, I wish to know about the fourth beast. It was different from the others, exceedingly dreadful, and his teeth of iron, and his nails of bronze, which devoured and broken pieces, and trampled the residue with his feet. And I'm watching, and, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them, until the Ancient of Days came. Correlates with what he said in chapter 2, that these ten kings will be on the scene. A fourth kingdom on the earth, which will be different from all the other kingdoms, shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise out of this kingdom. So there's going to be this revived Roman Empire that will be on the scene in the tribulation period that is led by the little horn, which is the title of Antichrist. Could the United States be a part of that? Don't know for sure. Could the United States be part of the young lions of Tarshish that are protesting? I don't know for sure. But it does concern me that we're not specifically mentioned in end-time prophecy. And I'll tell you why. Because of our decline spiritually and morally. What is happening to our nation. And I know you're concerned about it as well. So we need to pray for our nation. We need to pray for revival. We need to pray for a spiritual awakening that will take place. So nations play a role in the last days. And here you have this invasion into Israel. A few nations protesting. Not of any help. Israel's alone. It's a massive invasion again as verse 9 of Ezekiel uh, tells us. That it's like a, a cloud that's coming into the land, uh, covering the land like a, uh, all the troops and many peoples with you ascending upon the land from the north. And let's now finish Ezekiel 38, beginning at verse 18. As we write number 9, God intervenes in this war. And we see how he does that. Verse 18, it will come to pass at the same time when God comes against the land of Israel, says the Lord God, that my fury will show... In my face, for in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath, I have spoken, 
Surely in that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel, so that the fish of the sea, the birds of heaven, the beasts of the field, all creeping things that creep on the earth, and all men who are on the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. The mountain shall be thrown down, the steep faces fall, shall fall, and every wall shall fall to the ground. I will call for a sword against Gog throughout all my mountains, says the Lord. Every man's sword will be against his brothers, and I will bring him, verse 22, to judgment with pestilence and bloodshed. I will rain down on him, on his troops, and on the many peoples who are with him, flooding, rain, great hailstones, fire and brimstone. And thus I will magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations, and then they shall know that I am the Lord. That's a phrase that you see throughout uh, Ezekiel, and particularly in Ezekiel 38 and 39, that they may know that I am the Lord. So in this uh, invading army coming against Israel, God's going to intervene and destroy this invading army. We see he's going to do it by verses 19 and 20 we read. There's going to be a massive earthquake. It will cause great fear. Verse 20, all men on the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. It will cause the armies to go into chaos where there's confusion, verse 21. It tells us the invading armies will turn on each other. Every man's sword will be against his brother. We have seen that in scripture before, haven't we? Remember the book of Judges, Gideon? Gideon and his 300 men that went against 135,000 Midianites. And the men would circle the camp of the Midianites. They're greatly outnumbered, just as Israel's going to be greatly outnumbered. And as they would break those clay pots that had coals in them, and then the wind rushing into the clay pots, the lights would ignite, the trumpet is blown, and the sword of the Lord in Gideon, and the Midianites, they became so confused, they turned on each other, and they began to to take the sword against each other. And they were defeated very soundly. This is what's going to happen in Ezekiel 38 and 39. There will be a massive outbreak of disease, pestilence, verse 22. Do you realize that 12 times in the book of Revelation, plagues are mentioned. There will be great hailstones and fire and brimstone. We know that the Lord used hailstone as Joshua was conquering the land. We read as we continue here in chapter 39. That you, O son, verse 1, and, and son of man, prophesy against Gog, and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rush and Meshach and Tubal. And I will turn you around and lead you on, bring you up from the far north. So again, this invasion comes from the north. And bring you against the mountains of Israel. And I will knock the, the bow out of your left hand and cause the arrows to fall out of your right hand. And you shall fall in the mountains of Israel, and you and all your troops, and the peoples who are with you. I will give you to the birds of prey of every sort, and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. You shall fall on the open field, for I have spoken, says the Lord God. And I will send fire, listen, on Magog and on those who live in security in the coastlands. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. So I will make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel. And I will not let them profane my holy name anymore. Then the nation shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Surely it is coming. And it shall be done, says the Lord God. This is the day in which I have spoken. He said, surely it is coming. It's as good as done. Behold, the days are coming. Not that they might come. This is going to be fulfilled. And as he continues 
describing here how these armies are going to be defeated, that weapons are going to fail, verses 2 and 3 that we read of 39. Fire is mentioned again in verse 6. So the question gets asked, are there going to be weapons of mass destruction that are going to be used in this battle? I think it very well could be, and I'll tell you why, for a couple reasons. In verse 6 of Ezekiel 39, I will rain down fire on Magog, those who live securely on the coastlands. Could this be a nuclear exchange from Israel? Fire that comes on Magog and those in security has the meaning of confidence. Who is that? Don't know for sure. Some have suggested on Magog and those who dwell securely, maybe on parts of the former Soviet Union. We don't know for sure. But here's something that is absolutely amazing, that is unique in all of Scripture, the description of a cleanup after, after a war. Let's begin to look at it, verse 9, and we'll read through verse 16. That, then those who dwell in the cities of Israel go out and set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and bucklers, the bows, the arrows, the javelins, the spears, and they will make fire with them for seven years. Note that. They will take wood from the field, uh, will not take wood from the field, nor cut down any of the forests, because they will make fires with the weapons, and they will plunder those who plundered them, and pillage those who pillage them, says the Lord. It will come to pass in that day that I will give Gog a burial place there in Israel, in the valley of those who pass by the east of the sea. It will instruct travelers, because there they will bury Gog and all his multitude. Therefore, they will call it the valley Ham and Gog. For seven months, verse 12 tells us, Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. Indeed, all the people of the land will be burying, and they will gain renown for it on the day that I am glorified, says the Lord God. And they will set apart men regularly employed with the help of a search party to pass through the land and bury those bodies remaining on the ground in order to cleanse it. At the end of seven months, they will make a search. The search party will pass through the land, and when anyone sees a man's bone, he shall set up a marker by it. The barriers have buried it in the valley of Hamangog, and the name of the city also will be Hamaah. Thus they shall cleanse the land. Absolutely remarkable. Notice that Israel is going to go out and burn the weapons, and they will make fire for seven years. There's always been a lot of commentary on this until recently that we get an idea. And the reason that I'm saying perhaps weapons of mass destruction might be used in this war, I got a good friend who's a nuclear engineer. And he was very much a part of the project when they cleaned up Rocky Flats in Denver, when they destroyed those nuclear weapons. You know how they did it? He, when he read Ezekiel 38 when I was teaching it, he came up and he said, this is absolutely amazing. Written 2,600 years ago. You know how we destroyed those weapons? We burned them. Took seven years. Ezekiel's writing about it 2,600 years ago. And then those who are regularly employed, I remember another time, someone who's in the military came up and he says, what is described there is exactly what I'm trained to do. After a biological, chemical, nuclear exchange that we are in the army in, to put on special suits and we go and we put markers by the bodies, just as described here, by the bones are poisoned. And we can't touch them. And it takes seven months for Israel to bury the, the bodies there east of the sea, probably in the Dead Sea area. 
where it's very deserty, and it could be a description because of, you know, nuclear, biological, whatever may be used, that they have to go in and mark the bones in the bodies. Absolutely amazing what is described to us here. So as the cleanup is described to us, it tells us something. Now the big question as we end here this morning, we could, we could go into a lot of details, we can go into more, but I want you to get the main points of Ezekiel 38 and 39. Number uh, 9 you can write in this, is, or number 10 now, is when will Ezekiel 38 and 39 happen? I can't tell you dogmatically. We know it's in the latter days. There have been good scholars that have said that perhaps it's going to happen in the middle of the tribulation period that will lead to the battle of Armageddon. There are some that say in the beginning of the tribulation period, the Antichrist comes, he makes a covenant with Israel for one week that begins the tribulation period that will help them to be secure. Uh, will make a covenant that will allow them to, to build their temple. So some believe that as the seals begin to be opened up in Revelation chapter 6, chapter 6 through 19 describes the tribulation period, that the second seal is opened up and war breaks out. By the end of the first four seals being opened up, a quarter of the world is killed. So it could be that. Some believe that it could happen very well before the tribulation period. And the reason that they do is because, as we'll talk about next week, that in the tribulation period, that the Antichrist, who makes a covenant with Israel for a week, in the middle of the week, he will proclaim himself as God. He will do it in the temple of God to be worshipped as God. And he will heavily persecute the Jews. He will also heavily persecute and begin to martyr um, the tribulation saints. So remnant of the Jews, Revelation chapter 12, are going to flee to the rock city of Petra. So the, the thought is they're not going to have time to burn the weapons during that time. So it has to happen before the tribulation period. Don't know for sure. The big question that I get asked is, is Ezekiel 38 going to happen before the rapture of the church? Now those of you who may be new, week two we went over the rapture of the church. Always keep in mind when it comes to the rapture of the church... I believe it's going to take place before that seven-year period called the tribulation period. And the imminent return of Jesus Christ, spoken of all through the New Testament, tells us that the rapture of the church can happen at any time. We don't know the day or the hour. But Jesus says that come when you're least expect it. There's no prophecies that need to be fulfilled for the rapture of the church. So keep that in mind. We do know that this war will be fulfilled but I also want to encourage you in this. That Jesus said, when you begin to see these things come to pass, look up and rejoice for your redemption draw near. And as we read this, this can frighten a lot of people. But prophecy isn't given to us to frighten us. It's so that we are prepared and wise and discerning the days in which we're in. And as we see the storm clouds that are gathering around us, it tells me something that I'm not to live for this world. This world is not where it's at. Now, it doesn't mean that I just quit living life. It means I have an eternal perspective. And they occupy, the Lord said, till I come. And we are here for such a time as this. But as we see these things come,
coming to pass, we can look up and rejoice. Why? Because our redemption draws near. Amen. So we got a lot more that we'll talk about in the next four weeks of this series. But Father, this morning as we've looked at this and and Lord, we've looked at these points. We know that this is a battle that's not talked about. It's not given to us um, in the scripture. But Lord, it is spoken of very clearly as the Lord said it will come to pass. But what does it mean for us? It means that we're to continue to watch and be waiting and that we have the surety of your word given to us. That, Lord, everything is headed towards something. But we are a part of a kingdom that will be established. And you promise that you will take us out of the, the time of tribulation that shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. And, Lord, so we have a blessed hope before us. Lord, we have a, a living hope. It should cause us to have a sense of urgency to be a witness to brothers and sisters, our families that don't know you. Because even in the church, it's, it's taught that, that things are going to get more rosy and better and the church is going to take over the world. It's a, it's a false teaching. And Lord, even though these things can be hard to read, Therefore, our benefit to cause us to keep an eternal perspective and to keep praying for our nation and be a witness to those around us. So may we leave this place being thankful on this Thanksgiving weekend that we belong to you. But I also want to pray if there's anyone that's watching or anyone that is here in this sanctuary that you have not made a commitment to Jesus Christ. He is your salvation. There's none other. There are thousands of religion, but listen, only one empty tomb. Jesus died on the cross because of his love for you. Because we're sinners and the wages of sin is death. And Jesus cried out, it is finished on that cross. He paid the price for your sins, took, made atonement for your sins, was put into a grave and he rose again. He is the son of God and the invitation is for you to come. Quit going the direction you're going. Repent, turn to Jesus. That word repent, it's not a negative word. It's a wonderful word of, of turn to him, trust in him, call out to him. The world will not save you and you can't save yourself. Jesus, he will because he loves you and he died for you and he rose again and he is the son of God. And the invitation is for you to come right now. Today is the day of salvation. And you can pray, Jesus, I come and I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. Forgive me, a sinner. And I believe you rose again. And you are truly Lord and Savior. And I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for saving me and dying for me. And I want to know you and walk with you in this newness of life that I now have. All the days of my life, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and